We take up our Bibles at this time and turn again to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10. Continuing and speaking of that mission that was spoken of by Christ in the end of chapter 9. Now continuing on to the confession. So knowing the challenge, persecution will come. This is what you will meet. This is what will be meted out against you. But now how do we respond? What do we place our trust in? Who do we make known in the midst of that mission together for sheep and for grain? So let's hear these words together. Matthew chapter 10, we'll begin our reading in verse 24, and we'll read through verse 33. Hear now the word of the Lord. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the household Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the rooftops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Our Lord and Heavenly Fathers, we come before these words together. They are in their own way a challenge. Because as we hear them, perhaps they feel very far from our experience. Lord, certainly we know challenges, but, but to hear that which comes and to know it in all of its fierceness and all of its fury. And we think about persecution happening in places like China or in North Vietnam or in places very different than here. And yet, Father, those days are coming. And as much as we would like to say otherwise, Lord, we know that things are not, at least by way of your word and its promise, going to get better. And so, Lord, it's why we cry, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And yet in the time that you tarry, you have work for us to do on mission. That mission that you have given your apostles and and the prophets, Father, that you have given to the disciples that you have given to us to make your name known, to make your praise glorious, to proclaim the good news of salvation in Christ alone. And so, Lord, we pray for your guidance through this word tonight, that it would meet us not just where we are, but where we will most likely find ourselves, needing to give an answer, an apology, to defend the faith, to stand in the midst of increasing persecution in faithfulness and truth and love. And so, Father, would you guide my words tonight, that, Lord, you know my heart for this people, that they would hear this too. Father, may that heart be yours. May these words be yours. May they accomplish that for which you will them. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, children of God called to be saints, there is great power 
any time that we make a confession of our faith or a profession of our faith, and I know we use those terms very interchangeably in our parlance, but, but that, prof- that confession of our faith in some ways speaks of what we are against, that we stand along with a number of people saying this is what we are not because this is the one that we are found in, that profession speaking of the one who is for us, who has given us all things in himself for our salvation, the one who is for us, the one that we love. And so as we think of that, in many of the other ways that we have relationship and we talk about confessing something or professing something, what that is, is an experience of or the reality of the truth. That when we go to that special someone, we confess our love for them. When we come before the court, we confess our crimes. When we come before the Lord, we confess our sins. Here is the truth of them. Here's the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. It's professing what we believe and what we hold fast and what we hold dear and what's most important. That's why there's power in it. And yet if we think of the times that perhaps we've confessed things, you confess that love to someone who doesn't share the same thing that you do. It's a difficult time. When we speak the truth to someone who doesn't agree with us, that becomes difficult. There's an argument that ensues. And so we recognize that any confession and profession will not always be well received. All the more so when we talk about the confession we make of the truth of our Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, it will rarely be well received. And so to me, it's a quizzical thing when I hear young people and certainly some old people, older people, who talk about the struggles that they have in in coming to speak with one of the elders and and being invited to a a council meeting, to come for a profession of faith interview, to to speak of their faith, and and it's scary, and all of these men and and these big chairs in this space, and they're going to ask me questions, even though I know most of the questions, if not all of them, that are going to be asked me, and and what are they going to do, and what if they look at me funny, and what if I trip over my words, and this litany of excuses. And it's quizzical because that is the place, coming before the council, is the easiest place to make confession and profession of one's faith. That is what we long to hear. We rejoice in it. That if you talk to any elder or any deacon, the best thing we get to do is that. And yet we struggle. Brothers and sisters, is not the world a much more difficult venue than that? And so if we're going to struggle here amongst those who support us, encourage us, and believe us the same, believe the same thing we do, are we prepared to go out in a world that hates God and hates His people? A world that will disagree with you, who will argue with you, who will dismiss you, who will persecute you. Are you really a Christian? Uh, Is that what you believe? What, you you don't recognize who I am? You don't recognize how I identify myself? You don't believe my relationship is righteous and good altogether? You think that way about people, about how we care? 
This is what you think about the world. This is what you think about a nation or not that nation. That's what you think about my supposed personal choice. We are at conflict with the world. We are at enmity with the world. The world is not our friend. Of course this is going to be difficult. Are we willing to stand for it? Are we willing to speak to the truth when someone asks, do you really believe what the Bible says? Do you really believe in Jesus Christ? Do you really believe that there is only one way to heaven? Do you really believe that I will be forever condemned if I don't believe in Him? Are we ready to follow then? Are we willing to speak truth then? Are we willing to deal with the blowback? And there will be blowback if we are faithful. I ask you, brothers and sisters, are we really ready to confess him at all times? Because it seems in times of ease of the ones that we live in now that we're not always ready, we don't always do it, we don't share that truth with each other, we don't find it necessarily an encouragement to even speak gospel one to another. But the time is coming. And it's there at the gate. Are we ready to follow Jesus? Are we ready to confess him at all times, even in times of persecution? Ready to give an answer for a hope that has to burn brightly now and certainly will need to later? Are we ready to meet the challenge of what that calling is? We're told in Hebrews 10, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That stirring up comes in terms of that kind of confession. That kind of profession of who is for us and what his word is spoken and why it is true and why we will continue to persevere as we walk that together. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so not only do we need to hear that confession, but the world does. And the world needs to hear our faith in Christ alone, and we have to be willing to bring it no matter what may come. No matter what may come against us as we speak truth to sinners. No matter what what may come as we speak encouragement to the saints in the exact same words. We will be persecuted. We will be hated. Yes, there is struggle in it, but Christ has already spoken in the book of Matthew that there will be blessing in it as well. And so the promise for the persecuted is to know in their is to be known in their life of confession as those found in Christ and given to his mission for sheep and grain. Hear that again. The promise for the persecuted is known in their life of confession as those found in Christ and given to his mission for sheep and grain. And so that confession then is one of facsimile, and we'll explain what that means in point one, verses 24 and 25. It is one of fear in verses 26 through 31, and then it's one of faith. That's where it's going to resolve in verses 32 and 33. But it's a confession of facsimile. And so young people back in the day, those stone ages where your parents or those like me were much younger, 
businesses made use of something called a fax machine. And so maybe you've seen one or it's bombing around in your grandparents' basement yet, but, but it's a facsimile machine. It's a machine used to make an exact copy which would be sent over the phone. So when we talk about Xeroxes or photocopies, I know everything is on some kind of electronic now, but that's what we're getting at. The picture of the thing now becomes a, a copy that you can take with you. And so in Christ, our confession is what? He has made us like him. We are found in him. And so that as people see me, as they interact with me, as they listen to me, as they come to know and hear my heart, they would come to see and know Jesus. That they would be brought before a facsimile. And so my profession of faith in Jesus Christ is saying, I pledge and vow myself in love for him to serve that. To be that representation. And we struggle with that because we're not exact. And I think if most of you have ever gotten a fax machine message, it wasn't really exact either, right? But we're seeking to be that image, to live that image, to be exact copies. But if we're going to walk that way of facsimile, even in seeking to be like him, then our lives are going to look like his. And we're going to face what he faced and experience much of what he experienced before a crooked and perverse generation. And yet that's where the rub for many comes because, well, I, I want this to be easy. And so typically what we'll do then is we surround ourselves with like-minded people. We'll huddle together. These are the only people we ever interact with. And so it doesn't challenge us or force us to consider that confession. It doesn't send us out into the world, but it isolates us and insulates us in a way that doesn't always allow faithfulness to that mission. And yet when we head out there, what will we hear? If our lives look like Jesus's, then how will our teaching be responded to even as his was? Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And yet we expect center stage and ease. And of course you will listen to me and of course you will understand me and of course you will follow me. No. There's never that promise at all. And so if this was not the experience of Christ, or rather what's being written there in Isaiah 53 is, why would we expect our experience to be any different? You see, that's why there's a power in that confession, because what we're saying is what? I am connected to Him. I follow Him. Even into the struggle. I mean, that's some of the issue for us. We, we don't want to hitch our wagons to something that doesn't look like it wins or something that struggles or something that's hard. I mean, there are enough teams in the state of Michigan that some of you have followed for years and years and years with no hope, and you keep doing it anyway. I mean, eventually you find your own teams. But that's what people seem to do with Christ. This is hard now. This is difficult. And the world doesn't revere us, and it doesn't listen to us. 
and, and we're not able to be salty enough or light enough in order to preserve things. And so now everything seems turned on its head and now that's the world's fault. Instead of us saying, what have we done? And have we been emboldened in our confession and our witness? And why does the world hate us? And why does the world persecute us? Because it did that to your Savior. And your life is to look like His. You see, an active life in Christ always resolves in the hatred and persecution of the world. This should not be a surprise to us. But that doesn't need to discourage us either. In fact, he tells us that here in verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. This would be a much harder way if Jesus said, you know what, I walked around like a king and my life was ease, but I want yours to be hard. Like you would look at that and there would be very little respect for that. But he's walked that way. He's taken our flesh. He's the gift of that incarnation. He's walked all righteousness. He's suffered it all. The rejection of man, the rejection of God. You're not above him. He's still the master. He's still the teacher. Your lot will be no better than his if you're truly his follower. In fact, your life of suffering and persecution should testify of how you've sought to copy his way so that he would be praised and glorified. That your life wouldn't be the one you were worried about having be exalted, but rather his. And so your words, your service, your suffering, your persecution then do not become what matters most but that you recognize I am continuing to bow in humility before a master who points me to his perfection as I seek to walk in his way and copy his response that he would be glorified. In fact, Jesus doubles down here. And so it's not so much the disciple not above his master, but what does he say in verse 25? It is enough. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. That's enough for you. It doesn't need to be any more than that because I've already promised you everything else. This is what's coming at the end of it. You know all of it. This is why we hold fast. This is what's coming. None of that's going to be taken away. It's kept in heaven for you. It's enough. But yet I think sometimes when we read that, we start saying in our own mind, is it enough? We don't understand the privilege that it is to be his subjects, more to be his sons, his daughters. We don't realize the great privilege it is in his grace to be his disciples to be members of his covenant, to live with him and in him and for him and to live a life even in the midst of all of that other stuff of grace and assurance. That none of us in Christ wake up any day wondering what's coming or what's going to happen or what might be mine. All of it's assured. So yeah, persecution is assured. 
but so is glory. And so why are we separating these things? Why are we living out that assurance that it is enough to be like him? In fact, that it is my joy to be like him and my reward in this life to be like him. And so if that is truly our desire, and it has to be shaped, Father, make me a facsimile, make me a copy, then I need to know that it is enough to suffer with him and for him as well. Because it's what he's blessed us with. And you're like, okay, now you've gone too far. Copy is one thing, but blessing? But that's what God calls it. Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians 1, 29 and 30, for it has been granted to you. This is the good gift of the Father to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, yep, we're there, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Jesus had it. Paul has it, his disciples have it, we have it. Granted, this is God's good provision to you. In fact, Jesus has already said that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, right? Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is what? Assurance. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when we operate in that way, knowing that the confession that I make is going to lead to this, but I can live in the freedom and the wonder of God's blessing, now I don't sit here and sulk about it, complain about it, long for the old days that really weren't any better than the ones now altogether. And we can say, what, along with the disciples in Acts 5.41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Blessing. And so, yeah, are we going to hear nice things from those that we make a confession to who continue to remain in their darkness and stubborn rebellion against the Lord? <laughs> what they call Christ? If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, prince of demons, basically Satan himself, how much more will they malign those, but hear again your hope of his household? You have a place in his house as those who have been made copies of Christ, not because of anything you have done, but because of his mercy. So Christian, please don't continue living this life in some kind of discouragement as you say to yourself, why am I not getting better treatment than Jesus had? It was never guaranteed to you. If that's the kind of gospel that you're hearing, some kind of prosperity baloney, come now, let's reason together. Recognize this is the life that you're given, but hear it. If you've been made a part of that household, if you have been brought into Christ, this is for your blessing, even as it drives you to him. And yet what it will first drive out from us is a confession of fear in that in the second place. Because I know sometimes in pastor speak, 
as you listen, and I know as I listen to sermons, yeah, that sounds really good, and that sounds really helpful, but it's still scary. It's still something we're fearful of. And such a confession, I realize, is difficult. It's always that rub of, of going and being very emboldened when we go on a foreign mission trip and we speak all kinds of truth, and yet I struggle to go to my neighbor or the person kitty corner to my house because, well, i got to live with them. What are they going to say, and what are they going to do, and are things going to be awkward? And See, confession is difficult. And maybe not so much right now or even here amongst those with like-minded faith. But if we're going to live that facsimile of Jesus, we're going to leave this church tonight, we're going to take up our armor, and we're going to go meet that battle, and we're going to go out in faithfulness to his call, his mission, we're going to start counting the cost of discipleship and the insults we've taken in and the relationships that we've lost and the things that have been said about us falsely on account of righteousness' sake and the wounds and the scars and the tears, we start to count it. And we start recognizing that he still demands our all. All our life and all our efforts, all our heart directed at being wholly and only his. And I don't know where the strength for that is going to come or the will for that or the help in that. We're afraid. And there's no shame in saying it, but there's shame in staying there, especially when God gives us as much promise as he does. And maybe we rise up to that and we say, well, you don't know me because we're tough. We're tough, a little machismo there. We can stand up to anything. But that just isn't it. And no matter if that's your gift set or not, at least in your own estimation, in that moment where a confession of faith is demanded, someone has said something that needs to be answered, when someone has spoken the need of hearing the gospel and we stand there, maybe a simple gospel presentation is all that is necessary, we freeze and we doubt and we struggle and we shut our mouths or we look the other way or we even run the other way. And it's not because of our mouth and we don't know how to speak well or I can't talk in front of people or anything else. Everybody has no problem talking in front of all kinds of other people in the narthex in the gym. That isn't it. It's the battle of that moment. It's the struggle of what's there to say, will I be faithful as one who follows Christ? We're afraid of what the world might think of us or do to us and to our families. We're afraid of what persecution may entail. <laughs> but how can a good confession resolve in that? If this is what he's promised us, if this is what he's given us, if this is the mission that he's given saying, I have the victory in it, and this is where I will take you, we have every answer, every hope, every blessing in Christ. If that's where it goes... We can't be left there, cowering in fear, 
unable to open our mouths, unable to speak truth into that moment and to that person who needs to hear the gospel and be saved. Because if it does, we're confessing and placing our trust in far less than is what promised by our Savior. That's the brass tacks of it. Either I have a Savior or I don't. Either I have good news or I don't. Either I have assurance or I don't. And so if there are fears and anxieties, they must lead us to consider what we are and are not to fear. So let's at least cut through it. Because a holy God, fear Him. Fear what He's called you to. That facsimile of Jesus living for Him, living in faithfulness, fear that the world, insults, and hardships, and persecutions. You see, we're led to the need to make a confession of who we rightly fear, but also of what we will give no reason to fear and the security that is found in Jesus. So yes, hear it plainly, there are things to be afraid of. But those of this world are not one of them. Verse 26, so have no fear of them. And so really, here is the Lord coming to us again saying, I want to comfort you. How often in the scriptures, it's a great word study, do not be afraid. We read it in verse 26, we see it in verse 28, we see it in verse 31. And why are we given this command? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. It says in 1 John 4, 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So that for you, Christian, even your sufferings and persecutions can serve for joy. Because his love is being perfected in you. And more, that suffering then leads us to, to the outpouring of joy and the thanksgiving of it. Not in some weird like self-harm way, but more in a way of saying, worthy of suffering for the name. Isaiah 12, 6, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. Why? For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. He is there with you. He hasn't left. And so in this text, we are given a very important reason for why we do not fear. Keep looking in verse 26. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. In the end, it's all going to be seen for what it is. Everything that's been said, everything that's happened, all of it will have to be given account for. In fact, as the commentator Morris writes, quote, publicity is an advocate to the good. What can man do to me? He will have his own judgment to worry about, but I don't. Because I'm found in Christ. All will be known in the end. And if you are hearing that tonight outside of salvation in Jesus Christ, may that be clear to you. It all comes out. All that you have done, all that you have left undone, it is there. It will be judged and you will be found lacking. 
And so Christian, that's why for them, it is requisite as facsimiles of Jesus in that faith we confess to proclaim that gospel good news. What I tell you, verse 27, in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. The gospel needs to be heard. The light of that world. That city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That has to come forth from us. As those who preach openly what's been committed to us. As those who have been given grace and faith to place our trust wholly in Jesus. And this is no time to hide it. Because that will be revealed too. This is not a time for camouflage, even in the midst of hunting season. This is not the time in terms of spirituality. This is not a matter of conceal, don't feel. This is the moment to let it go. To let that confession come forth. To let it come forth in power and beauty and glory. To proclaim everywhere freely what Jesus Christ has done for us to the glory of God the Father. That's for us. And we have no reason to fear. And while, yes, I recognize that there are those in some of those persecuted countries who gather in secret, who have to do that, concealment, however, might be a strategy for a moment, but it is never the long-term strategy of the true disciples of Jesus. There will come a point of reckoning. There will come a point of decision. And are we going to close our mouths or are we going to be faithful? And so here is the encouragement. Preach boldly your encouragement and confidence in Christ. Because the end is near. I heard it from a brother this morning that we don't know We don't know the number of our days. We don't know the hour. My assurance cannot be taken away. My soul cannot be touched. Will I proclaim boldly? Judgment is coming. As one knowing my mission, will I give myself fully to it? Proclaiming to people my trust, my faith, as I proclaim sure promises in Jesus Christ that I would make him known publicly and promiscuously in the confidence of verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. It's a doubling down. Do not be afraid of them. They can do nothing to you. So I ask you, do you have faith to believe that God can resurrect us? He's promised to do so in the last day. So will he keep us? Will he keep us in life and death as those who belong to him, body and soul? If the answer is yes, then we have no reason to fear. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Because it is a fearful thing, Hebrews 10.31, to fall into the hands of the living God. That's the one we fear. That's the one that we reverence. That is the one that we find all of our awe in. 
It says in Luke 12, 5, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Christian, who will you fear more? Who do we fear more? And I would posit to you that you don't have to say it to show it. It's already seen. The company you keep, the stands that you take, the priorities that you have. It's already making a testimony. Do we fear the Lord? And do we fear him enough to openly proclaim our truth and trust in him? And yet in that, the text doesn't end there. Because the Lord knows what he is calling us to. Because we sit here and we rightly say, well, well we're not Jesus. We're just copies. We're, we're followers. And we're not always going to get it right. Is he still going to show to you grace and love and compassion and care? Hear it in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? An asurion. One I think one twenty-fourth of a day's wages, pennies. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. You can have this confidence, not having to fear anyone but him, because he's sovereign. Verse 30, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And even if you're bald, he's numbered those ones too. He's going to care for you. You can have confidence because your God knows all things and has the power to keep all things and is never apart from you for a moment, caring for you in every small detail of your life. Fear not, therefore. I am going to keep you in this life. I am going to keep you in the one to come. Do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. You are chosen and precious to me. I have given everything to have you. But this is the life that I have for you. A life not to be given to the fear of man, but to the fear of God. And so Christian, not only do we have to ask the question, who am I more afraid of, but, but why? Why am I so afraid of the world? Why am I so afraid of what will come? Oh, they're not going to trade with us, and they're not going to sell to us, and they're not going to this, and they're not going to that, and they're not going to protect us, and they're not going to... Therefore, do not be anxious about your life, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But here's the call. What does a life of fear look like? In that confession, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious. Do not fear about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So who do we fear? And are we going to fear the one who is worthy of it, who deserves it? 
And in putting away those fears and anxieties, are we going to seek to walk faithfully? Which should ultimately resolve in a fuller and more blessed confession of our faith and in the last place. Because what this is driving to is an acknowledgement, to a trust, to a statement of faith. Verse 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. He makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Not to wait, to live for him to proclaim him, to make him known, to bring him praise, to make a defense for the faith, to continue to proclaim the gospel. His love demands my soul, my life, my all. Acknowledgement means allegiance. Am I ready to give it to him? Called to make a faithful confession of my faith, a profession of whom it is founded in. So here is that call, profess his name. Don't wait. What are you afraid of? A room of men who love you and want you to continue in the profession that you make? Don't be afraid. Don't just be convinced of Christ or agreeable concerning Christ. Confess Christ. Hold fast your confession without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful persevere in a confession knowing that you will receive the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. A confession that speaks not only that Jesus has claimed you, but that you know without doubt that you are found in him, not having a righteousness of your own. Confess your salvation in him. Don't wait, Romans 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified. And that's where we stop. It's where we really, in practice, seemingly too often stop at the verse. Justified, saved, nope. And I recognize that move here. Salvation is more than just that justification. Because what does it say? With a mouth one confesses and is saved. There is testimony made. There is assurance spoken. And that speaking matters. Not only in terms of the persecution that it will bring. In the knowledge that even in speaking into that persecution, there will be those who hear and believe and are saved. But it is an encouragement to us. I walk with brothers and sisters in that same faith. The faith preserved through all time. The faith that will continue until Christ comes again. And we will walk in it faithfully. In the assurance of what? Revelations 3, 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name. You don't want to confess the name of Christ. What does it say? I won't confess yours. And that arrests us. That should stop us in our tracks. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Those who reject Christ, that's what that denial is. 
I it was denied thee. I crucified thee. Those who reject Christ are left with the consequences of their sin in doing so. And sometimes that looks like well-dressed people in pews on a Sunday. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, Mark 8, 38, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And you're like, well, no, 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 we show up. We're the right ones, not those. We say we love Jesus. We're a part of the covenant. We're in the church. Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I will speak to the world in the face of all of those sheep and goats, what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. And if that isn't bad enough, they are set apart to God's permanent rejection. That to deny Christ is to be given wholly and only to eternal rejection. And that is why parents cry out to your children that they would make that confession and that you would lead them in it. And that it wouldn't be something that we're waiting for them to do in there, but in their rooms and in times of prayer, waiting and longing for it and encouraging them and even going with them into that room to make that and stand with them. That we would know. That we would know where you are and where your heart is at. And that we would be thankful for it. And yet in hearing this, and even understanding perhaps some of my intensity and some of my tone, maybe some of you are afraid. That you know the ways in your own life that you reject the Lord. That you despise and dismiss His Word. That that you live for sin and self far more than you love Jesus. I want to ask you, does your rejection and denial lead you to Jesus in repentance and faith and the forgiveness he can work by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone? Or does it cause you to run from him more fully into your sins? Because if it's the latter, let this be the day of repentance. Confess your sins to the Lord and he will forgive you. But if it's the former, if you've been led to Christ... There's forgiveness for those moments where we've closed our mouths or we haven't given an answer. We haven't made that confession. We haven't answered the question our kids have or that hostile person at work has. There's grace for us even in those times that we've denied him. Yes, we're at times unfaithful. But we have no reason to fear if we return in true repentance and contrition, knowing that he is forever faithful and strong and kind to save us to the uttermost and preserve us in the same. And when he does that, he brings us back again to that mission. This is why Christ has come. And this is what I am sending you out to make known 
and to publish. Not that you're perfect facsimiles. You're just a copy. You're not Christ. But in coming and showing them what a life of repentance and contrition is, that is giving an answer for the hope that is in you. For we believe in one who can save us to the uttermost and preserve us. The one who says, do not fear. So you're called to believe in him. To love him with your all. And after you've been forgiven, to go out to that mission again. To care for his lambs and feed his sheep. Because there was grace for Peter, right? Hey, Peter, do you love me? Hey, Peter, do you love me? Hey, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Go feed my sheep. Go care for my lambs. Or as Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And so, brothers, as we consider the confession of this mission for sheep and grain, make that good confession. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Proclaim it in this place. Proclaim it in the world. Live it out and speak it out. Hold fast to it. Because the world will come after you with that target on your back that says, here is one who will suffer and be persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then let's live that mission together, encouraging each other and all the more as we see that day approaching, as we live that mission together in the grace of Christ. And what a confession that is. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word for the power of it, for the conviction of it, but, Father, for also the great trust and assurance that is there. And, Lord, we confess to you that there are lots of times where either we're not ready with an answer for the hope that is in us or we're not ready for the consequences of giving an answer for the hope that is in us or even sometimes we don't love others enough to give an answer for the hope that is in us. And so we pray that you would forgive our unbelief that, Lord, we rejoice and are thankful for all of those who, in spite perhaps of their own fears and anxieties, came to us and proclaimed the truth of the gospel of your Son. And you used that, Lord, those seeds that were sown, and you watered them and caused them to grow, and you gave faith, Father, that we might believe. And so, Lord, that's our longing in these things. And if that's enduring hardship and suffering and persecution and ridicule, Lord, it is a life following after Jesus for which we will give you thanks for. For we know what's at the end of it. And the wonder, Father, that your son knows us by name. He's going to call us by name. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the rest that I've prepared for you. And so, Father, if that's our assurance, Father, may we share it. Lord, that's what's ours. And man can't touch it. And you're not going to take it. And so, Father, may we live more vibrantly and passionately the confession of the faith in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
this time we give 